Ruchim Haboyim B'Shem Hashem Berechuchem V'Yesh Hashem Welcome to our weekly Wednesday Shir Lulun Nishmas Ruzenbas Elchana V'Ezra Shem Ben Yitzchak Asher Bas Yitzchak Semer Chananel And all those past And then Rufus Yeshua to all those that need Imelatera is always a solution to everything, as is Tefillah. When we pray to Hashem, we ask Hashem to forgive us. We often wonder, did Hashem actually listen? Does Hashem actually pay attention? famous joke, they say the fellow that fell off a cliff and was holding on to a branch looking down at 10,000 feet, holding on for his dear life and he's looking up to heaven, he's calling out to Benishayim, save me, please save me and he hears the heavenly voice and the heavenly voice says, do you believe in me? and he says, yes Benishayim I believe in you you have complete faith in me, I have complete faith in you so the heavenly voice says, leave go of the branch, he looks down at the 10,000 foot drop he realizes he leaves go of the branch, he's going to splat. He looks back up to heaven, he says, anybody else up there that can help me? It's a good joke for a heretic, <laughs> for not be curious. But it's a train of thought people have. And we need to always remember, there's only one source. There's only one source. There's only one place as we see in the beginning of this week's Parsha, Varshvayetze, the Shabbos, the Shabbos Parshvayetze, and it is also Tess Kislev, which we hopefully will get around to explaining exactly what wins. So we we don't always have our mind and heart in the proper perspective we do know what we need, we do know what we want we know what we want to ask from Hashem we want forgiveness for all that we do wrong we'd love to get forgiveness from all the, those that we wronged we'd love to ask forgiveness again and again until they do actually totally forgive which is extremely extremely difficult in many many cases They tell a a word I forget who sells it. The word was how a person needs to remember how Kaddish Baruch Hu does everything for the good. And that we need to be totally devoted and dedicated to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the Marshal was given of a king that was looking for a confidant. He was looking for somebody that he could talk to and then open up to and tell whatever is on his mind and his heart. And the person obviously would not go around blaspheming, blaspheming or blabbering all over the place the king's 
deep dark secrets. And one fellow applied for the uh, position. So the committee came along to vet this man to see what's what's all about. Who are you? I'm a devoted soldier in the king's army. I served for so and so many years. I fought in such and such battles. And I'm totally devoted and dedicated to the king. So the committee asks him, and tell me, if the king asks you to give him your house, would you give him your house? Of course. And if the king asks to give your fields, would you give your fields? So definitely give my fields. What if the king asked you to give you your chicken? Would you give you a chicken? He said, no. Okay, goodbye, you're disqualified. Came home, and they already heard. But he said he would give away his house, give away his fields, but he wouldn't give away his chicken, and that disqualified him. Everything else was going so well. Why'd you ruin it? Why would you not give away your chicken? Your house, your field, you'd give away. He says, house and field I don't have. I can give it away, I don't have it. Chicken I have, I'm not giving away my chicken. person needs to hold on to what they have. They think they, they feel that this is what they have coming to them. This is what they have. They lose perspective of the whole picture. They lose, they lose focus on what we need to focus on in real life. And therefore, we have this problem. We have the issue where we underst- don't understand sometimes the bigger picture. Who are you to say? Who are you to judge? Are you judging me? Are you telling me that my big picture that I describe and that I live by and live with and all that I live through is minimized because you don't think that it should be given credence, that it should be given any kind of tangibility because I should just say it's from Hashem and I should just accept it? Who are you? What did you go through? It's not the message. It's not the thought pattern. That's not what we mean to say, and that's not what we're trying to say. Nobody judges anybody. Everybody, unfortunately, not everyone. There are many people, as they would say, were born with a silver spoon in their mouth. And everything from birth till whatever was up perfect. They never lacked a thing. Their families went on vacations. They had a beautiful home. They had, a be- they had their own bedroom. They had their own privacy. They had their own this. They had their- everything that they ever asked for, they had. They had private tutors. They were able to learn. They were able to understand. They got very well. They did very well in school. They did great. Mar- had got great marks. Had a lot of friends. Had a lot of. Everything, everything worked chick-chack. Came to study for the bar mitzvah, they studied for the bar mitzvah, it was beautiful, it was perfect, it was excellent, food was fantastic, the waiters were great, the people, the music was fantastic, the entertainment was, it was just a beautiful hole, it was the perfect bar mitzvah. And then life growing up, and going through yeshiva, and in yeshiva itself, 
this shir and that shir, and you, you grasped each and every shir, and you even wrote Chidushatari, you even wrote different things, different commentaries, and you were able, you, everyone looked up to you, and everybody praised you, and you always did great. And then when it came to get married, you got the first shidduch that was offered to you as the best and the finest and the most beautiful shidduch. And you got married, and you had right away, in the first, in the first year, you had a child, Baruch Hashem, and a boy, so you were able to have a bris, and have a pigeon, a ben, and everything else. And then, the Baruch Hashem, Baruch who blessed you with other children, and the parasa was beautiful, and you had enough parasa, and you also bought a beautiful house. And you did the same thing for your children. Chad, God, yeah. You, it's beautiful. This is a storybook. Whoever even... Halavai, everyone should live that life. I would be ecstatic to know that everybody had gone through exactly that. And never lacked, whenever hurt, whenever insulted, whenever upset, whenever nothing ever done to them. And everything they only smelled roses. Halavai. I have no problem. I begin with a full heart. On the other hand, I don't envy you. I don't envy you for going through such a life because you never said oi. You never said ouch. You never cried out, Hashem, Hashem in heaven. That's in itself in the whole discussion. What prompts and what results does one get from the same prompt from two different people? When one gets prompted by going through a hardship, a very, very hard hardship, horrific, nightmarish, and yet, I've told the story too many times without repeating it, and yet the result is totally adverse between two people. The one person that says, I need to strengthen my connection to God because of what I went through. And thereby, if I find Hashem in my life, and I put Hashem in my life, and I'm able to wake up in the morning and say, And I'm able to say, And I'm able to daven, and I'm able to thank Hashem, and I'm able to give a few pennies to tzedakah. I can't give thousands, I can't give hundreds of thousands, I can't give, the, like the guy next door who gives six digit checks always to everybody that comes. I can give a five dollar bill and I'll be really feel great. Mostly I'm giving fifty cents a dollar. But I'm getting through. I'm getting through. But I know how to say the Bainishalam. I know how to call out and to cry. I know what a Yiddish krechts is. And the Yemi brings down that a krechts, the moan of a Jew. Breaks, every, breaks heavenly decrees, goes straight up to the highest point. When a Yid says, Oi, HaKadosh Baruch doesn't like to hear the, the Yid say, Oi. Not that he doesn't like it, it hurts him. Like a father for a child. And therefore, when the person goes through a different difficulty or stage in their lives 
they can rebound, they can pick themselves up, and they can say, Akash Baruch Hu, I can swim with the best. I can swim with the best. Nothing is going to deter me, nothing is going to slow me down, nothing is going to give me any hiccups in the road, I am going to get into this, I am going to go with the flow, I will, I will not look and say, oh, look, this person's background, this person was brought up with such a illustrious background, this person has so much behind him, this has, person has so much terror, and therefore I can't live up to this person's existence. Or when it comes to Shidduchim, the same thing. We need to look for a mensch, and we need to look for somebody that's going to match, and it's going to be compatible, and it's going to be kind and compassionate. There are so many different thoughts and patterns and minds are so twisted today. They're very few and far between the level-headed. We need to understand. We don't need to compromise. We don't need to look away from what's really important. We need to keep our standards not lower standards, chas v'shalom. But, we should never say to ourselves, the person is too good for us. That person has this and that that I would never have. It's not your business. You do you. You be you. You continue, you persevere. And this is what the person does in the world, in life. Don't come to shul and say, oh, this guy has a much nicer voice than me, I can't dive out loud. This person davens with better, better ivra, better kavana, therefore I have to sit in my corner quietly. You come to shul, you're davening to Hashem, who wants to hear your tefillah, wants to hear your word for word, wants to hear your davening, wants to hear your learning. A person cannot just sit complacently and say, ah, I'm not as good as the next guy, so I'll just sit back and wait until the other guy comes, gets the limelight. Yaakov went out of Be'eshava. He went out from a very, very special place. Rashi explains to us. This is a continuation of last week's Parsha, where Yaakov was told, get out of here quick, because Esau wants to kill you. So, and Teda, which learns from every extra letter, every letter in the Teda is an extra letter. We learn out something, we can learn 70 things from it. Full halachas are learned from it. So much more so, when a whole story is repeated several times, it becomes that much more important and that many more lessons for our generations. So if he went out from Be'eshava, he went to Kharana. These two names, why is it relevant that he went out from Be'eshava? Yaakov went on the journey to Kharan. By saying, Ve'yitz Yaakov Be'eshava, you're adding words. What lesson do we have from the adding words? Rashi brings down two reasons. Why was it called Be'er Shava? 
because of the Shavua that was made by Krizas Bris. Avimelech made with Avram a pact in this place, therefore it was called Be'er Sheva, the, the word Sheva coming from the word Shavua of the promise of a pact. A second reason, says Rashi, the seventh well was discovered here. And that was done after peace was made with Avimelech. So again, referring to a concept, a happening that brought about peace. Either it was the pact, or it was the well. Both reasons, as we said, are reflecting on beauty and on calmness. Where did he go to? He traveled to Chorona. Charon Afshel Elam. The most severe, the almost called border painful part of the world. And he went down to the lowest of low, from the highest of high to the lowest of low. It's a question. The Ebishti gave us the Tera. The Ebishti gave us mitzvahs. And he gave it to us, open broad-handedly. Wherever we turn, we're surrounded with mitzvahs. Or a branch of the mitzvah. Or something that we need to refrain from, that we need to stay away from, something we shouldn't be doing. So if we're so surrounded, and we have to be so involved in all our teirah, all our mitzvahs, why the trials and tribulations? Why the hardships? Why the worries of the exile? Daigus Golos, Daigus Parnosa. Why? What do we need it all for? To make it easier for us to keep the mitzvahs? Another thing. We shouldn't even have to anything to do with the worldly matters. We should be totally sitting and learning Torah and practicing Torah and Mitzvahs all day. We should not have to be involved with mundane, worldly things. So therefore, the Torah tells us the order of Yaakov. What's the order? Which means to say the way that the Jew... Yaakov being Yisrael, Yisrael reflecting on the name, the Jewish nation, the way that they go in their purity. Yes, we are a, we are Atam, we are Bacharnu Mikol Amim, we are Mivchar Amim, we are the choice of the nations, we are cho- we're the chosen people as it's known. 
Not like Avram, who had also a son Yishmol. Unlike, I'm sorry, Avram who had a son like Yishmol. Unlike Yitzchak who had a son like Esav. We're referring here to Yaakov. Yaakov had what's called in the Lashon HaTeda, Mitosoy Shilema. His every deed, every child, Baruch Hashem, he was blessed. If you keep scoring home, it's Gemara Lashon in Shabbos, Kuf, Mem, Vav, Amid, Aleph. 146 side 1. Mitosoy his bed was fle- was clean, was full. It was complete. Where was it complete? Each and every child that he had was a tzaddik. Before Yaakov had to get married, before he had to build his base Yisrael, he was told, leave Be'er Go out. Go out from the yeshiva of Shem Ve'ever. And where should he travel to? Go to Kharin Afshel Elam. Kharan. To Kharin Afshel Elam. Before setting up, before getting married and setting up his family, this is what the task he was given. He could and he had to remain in Be'er a place where godliness was totally, totally flourishing and flowing. And where the mitzvahs come so easy. And the Vedas are easy to, to stay away from. But in order to build a bias Bistro, he needed to go out of this Be'er He needed to come out of the cocoon, come out of the safety zone, come out of the basking in the glory and the beauty of God. And not only that, not only come out of the beauty, but had to go jump into the fire, out of the frying pan into the fire. To Choron, a place where everything was hidden, everything was in the depths, in the worst and the lowest of levels. The word Elam, the world, also comes from the word Helam, hidden. And here we're talking about Charenish Elam, the most severe place of the Helam. Yaakov was tasked to leave his comfort zone in order to set up a house like Yaakov's, where all the children were Baruch Hashem, in, followed in the ways of their father, he needed to go out of the holy is holy, come down to the most mundane, and only then start to build. And when he came to this place, the Charein Afshel Elam, he withstood test after test. And therefore he built a family, which was a Bayez Neman, 
which was mitosi shleima. This is a lesson for each and every one of us. Dafka, because they went through all these trials and tests, and you overcome them, you you ride above them, you build a Jewish home, a light, a beautiful, lit, and warm home and environment. A person that perseveres and does not let the depression and the mundane life that they've been put through, or the painful life that they've been put through, does not let that stop them, does not hold them back, does not keep them anchored in the wrong place. But rather they forge ahead. And they use the tools that they have for the utmost and for the best possible ways. Dafka then, they overcome everything. And they say there's no goal that's too high there's no pole too high, no goal too, too far. I can do this. I can achieve this. I can finish whatever I need to schooling-wise, and I can do my work, and I can still become a proper Jewish father or mother and build a proper Jewish home and raise beautiful from children to live a proper life, a way of life, a way of Hashem. And this has to happen according to the way the Seder says, when Yaakov left to go to Choron, first thing he did, Vayifka Bamokim. He started to daven, he stopped to daven. Give me score home, give me a brachis, chavovo medbeis, 26 I2. Vayivka mokim, he started to daven. Cheda, when he goes into the charein, choron, to find his zivug, to find his bashert, his match, he has to go on a date with a girl, he has to learn the way of the land, the language, the clothing, how to put a napkin on your lap, how to put your silverware just so, how to drink with your pinky up. You have to know, if that's how the way the way the land goes, that's how you have to be, you have to behave. And therefore, when you come to the land, you'll be able to impress your date. Because the world, unfortunately, is so superficial. What we look to do is only impress our date. Wear the proper garments for the land. If they wear a tie, they don't wear a tie. Yaakov said, leave me alone. Not me. I, me. But what's most important to me is Avedis HaTfila. I have to daven. Yaakov ultimately was Masakin Maidav. He established the, the prayer of Maidav. 
As we said before, the whole happening of Yaakov, this whole happening here was not a story as a story might be, or like any other story of the Teda, but it's a lesson for each and every generation. When one goes to build a bias Bisro, they can think, till now, sat and Teda, sat and learnt, and I did Teda and Tfilah Mitzvahs, but now I'm becoming an executive. Everything goes to the side. Now I need to learn a craft. I need to learn a business. I need to learn how to blend in with the Medina, blend in with the people, etc. This says the tailor here, the lesson, nope. What does one need to do? They need to sit down and daven. Stop the world. Stop what's going on around you. And now daven to Hashem that everything works out the way it should be. The opposite. The first thing he needs to do is vayivka b'mokim. To daven even more than he's done before. Because till now, he did whatever he did, learning his teda. He was in that sphere. This was his whole life. There was the easy way to do it. Now the situation is changing. He's going out to the world. He's going out to see, to test the waters, shall we say. He's going to come up against different trials, different tribulations, different tests. Way, way, way above his pay grade, as we say. Something that he has never faced before. Controversy that he's never faced before because he sat in yeshiva learning. He needs to ask of Hashem that he should be able to overcome these tests. This is the ultimate goal and the ultimate mission. And thereby, the person, the first stop they make is tefillah, to stop and to daven. He gets on the road. He's going to go out to go to Choron. Teda tells us, the sun set. It became night. Actually, it was not supposed to be nighttime ready, but it set all of a sudden. Because the place that Yaakov was standing in, he was supposed to spend the night. He had to spend the night. He had to lie down. So he took, says the tailor, He took stones from the area and he put them around his head. Rashi says, he did it like a marzav, circle around his head from his shoulder to his shoulder okay why because he was fi- he was frightened of the, be- of the f- fearful animals Tss. 
for the wild animals. Yaakov knew where he was going. And on the way, in the, on this road, not yet even arriving in Charon, there are already chayis royis, there are already bad animals, wild animals. So he took these stones and he put them around his head to protect himself from the chayis royis. And the Torah tells us how he went to sleep, he had a dream, and the ladder that rose up. He saw angels going up, going down. And he wakes up and says, how is it that I did not know how holy this place was? When the Heineke Shinova traveled to Tzvas, everybody heard he was coming. And a whole committee of Rabbanim stood on the outskirts of Tzvas, awaiting their prominent guest. And he was expected at a certain time. He tardied. He came substantially later. One of the people there, his name was Rabbi Heller, I forget what his title was, went over to the Shamas, to the Gabbai, and said, Makara, how come he was so late? So I'll tell you the truth. We got to a mountain, a certain mountain, a certain place, and he stopped there and he said, Budavri Mincha. What's Dabri Mincha? Usually Dabri is later. What's Dabri Mincha here? Okay. And the Mincha took longer than it ever took. It was a very, very, very long Mincha. Okay. So that's what tired us. That's what took so long, that's what took so late, because that mincha. Pray tell, says Yavahela, to the Shamas. Where was this mountain? Which mountain are you talking about? When he described the mountain, he said, now I know how holy the holy Shinnah is. Now I know how holy he is. What is Maitse Shehoya Kachoya. There was a story as such. There was once an Arab who was excavating on that mountain. And he found a golden bowl and in there was ashes. He found it. I conquered it. And he picked it up and took it home. That night, an old Jew appears to the Arab in the dream. He says, are you crazy? You think that's yours? You better put that back right away if you know it's good for you. So the next morning he took a, another bowl and he poured over the ashes into the bowl. And he brought it back to the same place he found it. That night again he had a dream. 
The old man was back and says, the gold bowl too, Bubby, and it's not yours. you got to put it back. <laughs> he discarded the dream. And the next day, one of his children died. The next night again, the guy came back and said, put back the bowl, and he refused. And the second day, another child died. Find the third night, he came to him and said, are you crazy? You know you're playing with fire? You better put that back now. The man was really, at his own strength was weaning from him. He felt that he was draining. And he picked up the bowl and he practically crawled back to the same spot, put the ashes that he had back into the bowl and put it back into the thing and covered it over. And he collapsed and died. waiting to hear these are the ashes said Rav of Meish Rabbeinu's Paraduma Meish Rabbeinu had a red heifer which he brought which he sacrificed so the Jews could become purified from Tommy Mace ultimately ten red heifers are to be sacrificed Moshe did the first, Ezra the second, and between Ezra and today there was another seven, and the tenth one will be brought by Mashiach Tzitkenu Mehedev Yimeinu Amen. And we spoke about this already, also how the Rambam describes it. Those ashes were the ones who left, and each one of the ten, each one of the other eight that were brought they took some of the ashes from the one that Meish Rabbeinu burned. And therefore this was the holy place which it was kept. And since Shinova knew exactly <coughs> how holy this place was, he stopped Dav Minchadeh. Now I don't know how they don't know where it is today, or they do know who it is today, I'm not sure how it works, so please don't... Uh, light me up here and ask me where's the place and can we go down there don't ask me either why it's so holy that the ashes of the Paraduma are there from Meishra not getting into that we're just letting you know this is a story that happened as Yaakov Avinu who wakes up and says but let us go back to his going to sleep first he went to sleep and he put stones around his head What was the rest of his body supposed to do? If the head was being, if the stones were protecting from the highest rois, from the wild animals, then why only his head? Here we go. Background music for the week daily share. The Manushach. Did he have the talking that Akash Baruch? Did he have faith that Baruch was going to watch over him? He didn't have to protect his head either. If he didn't want to come on to any kind of miracles from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, anything higher than nature, should have covered the whole body. Should have covered himself from head to toe. Why only the head? Pasuk tells us, Yegiyah kapecho tiseichal ashrecho v'tevloch. It's tilm, 
Kufchav Chesem Pasuk Beis. If with the toil of your hand you involve, you get involved, you do your work, then Panasa comes to the person. Two ways. Panasa, a person gets either because you give Kapecha, only his hands are working on the job, but his head and his soul are totally still devoted and dedicated to God, Tehran Aveda. Reshecha. The person goes head, foot, toes, everything into the business. The famous Vart from the Rebbe with the fellow that was selling boots. And he said, the cops are in Galashin. His head is in the boots. Your head belongs dedicated and devoted. Your mind belongs dedicated and devoted to Akadosh Baruch With one's hands, they do their toil, they do their work. But not life and soul is thrown into a business. Unless, of course, the business is helping other people. So this, therefore, means Yigye Kapecho Kisechel. Your hands, leave your head for learning. Then, Ashrecha V'tevlach. Then it will be great for you. Not only spiritually, but also physically. Because all the brilliant things, all the smart ideas and thoughts, they don't help. You can come up with all the thoughts in your mind, but it's not going to bring you any panasa because... It says, Bread wasn't given because the person is a chacham. It ruins the person if the person thinks that I have the plan. I, the one that can, I'm the, I know my destiny and I can prepare and I can prepare for my destiny. Brought down in many different places how a person needs to understand the Yiddish expression, Mensch tracht Gott lacht person thinks, man thinks and God laughs when Yaakov went to Charon he knew very very well where he was going and he knew that he's going to have to work slave labor by love and arami he also knew that in the journey there's already Chayas Royas. Just leaving Be'er Sheva, he's already out of the comfort zone and he's already confronting all different trials and tribulations. So he took stones and he put them around his head. Don't let anything affect my mind. Don't step on my head, don't step on my thoughts, don't step on my tater thoughts. His head should be protected from the journeys, journeys, difficulties, or work by love on. This is his preparation for his panasa, his panasa, and panasa is going to work only with his hands.
This is a life lesson for each and every one of us. A Jew needs to see that the head should be protected. And if the head is protected the way it should be, everything else will fall into place. The hands, the feet, everything will be able to function exactly the way it needs to. The Eitzik HaPanasa should be according to Shulchan Arach, the way a person involves themselves in Panasa, always according to the Jewish law. And their way, thereby, that not only will it be that smell is Deicha, but Yemin Mikhanevis. And Eglayim will be Ratzas and Mitzvah. Not only the hand, the left hand will push away the bad, the evil, but the right will be able to bring in the good, and the feet and the legs will go to where they need to go. What did Yaakov use? He used a worldly thing, a worldly item. There are four types of worldly items. This daimim medaber. The daimim is something that does not grow, does not speak, does not live. It's daimim, like the stone. Semeach, what grows, plants, grass, fruits, vegetables. The chai are the animals of the world, and then the medaber, the person. The person that speaks, thinks, is supposed to think before they speak, before they do. It says that the question is asked why in the Teda. Everything is very perfect in the Teda. Everything's exact. The Teda sometimes, when there's a word that wants to say going to that place, they went down to Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim, it says, the hey at the end of the word. Could say Le Mitzrayim. But the Lamed in the beginning of the word. Why Mitzrayim? the hay, why the hay added instead of the lamed and it's added at the end of the word instead of the beginning of the word the hay is much easier to pronounce than the lamed the hay is just pronounced without any kind of effort whereas the lamed requires effort also more importantly before reprimanding before lashing out, before making any kind of rash decisions, one should think it through. Give it some time. Generally, one comes up with a more rational approach than they would have in the beginning. Sometimes, unfortunately, when a person's angry at somebody, it incubates instead. Instead of subsiding, it incubates and it gets worse and worse and stronger and boils and boils and boils. Which is not, according to Taylor, the way one should do it. One should try to see to it that they mellow out
or they don't downplay, but they try to adjust their mind frame. So therefore the Torah tells us that only after thinking through should one come up with a either reprimand or an argument or a, a just plain letting someone know that you aren't happy what they did. Rather than the beginning right away striking out, lashing out. They tell a story of a teacher, Malamid, who once came late to class. Actually, it's very interesting. Just so yesterday, somebody published an article about how a Malamid must come on time. How important it is, what kind of lesson it is to the children, etc., etc. Besides, you're getting paid for the, for the hour. The few pennies you're getting paid, you can't take off. Anyway, unfortunately, because they get paid so little, some alum and push feel. <laughs> I don't owe you anything. Leave me alone. We're not getting into that. The Muhammad came late to class. All the children scurried and they ran to their seats. Except for one little boy. One little boy was sitting at his looking at his watch, tapping his watch, showing the teacher. Whoa! teacher wanted to walk over and wallop him. You, Mechutzef. You little chutzpinyak. You're telling me I'm late? I know I'm late. But you're going to tell me, you're going to reprimand me that I'm late? And this is actually a boy that he had a little problem with chutzpah before. And it was reprimanded and the boy learned his lesson. And now all of a sudden, again, such blatant chutzpah. Lamed said, you know what? Let me stop my class. I'm late enough as is. I'll talk to Marisas. And, as they're learning, every so often the Rebbe glanced up at the class and sees the boy still fidgeting, trying to remind the Rebbe how he came late. Comes to recess. The bell rings. Children get up to go to recess. and The child comes running over to the Rebbe and says, Look, Rabbi, my tati bought me a new watch. He was not at all trying to reprimand the Rebbe. He was trying to show him he got his new watch. He was trying to point it out and trying to look at it so he should look also and see that he got a new watch. And he wanted to (laughs) wallop the poor kid for it. Therefore, the same lesson follows here. Yaakov took from Daimim. This is what he used to protect himself from the most mundane things. Something that has no feeling, no emotion, no life, no growth. This is what Yaakov bound himself with. And this is the lesson for each and every one of us. We go out onto the world and we want to make sure that nothing affects us, we don't get affected by the exposure to the world. 
First things first, we need to tie ourselves Kabbalah's Elmach Hashemayim Shlema. Complete total Elmach Hashemayim. Stones. Feelings, emotions are very, very weak for this whole situation. One needs to feel like an Evan Dainim, like a stone. One needs to simply take themselves and say, I'm valuable and I have my own life, but I'm not greater than anything or anyone. And I do things unconditionally. I do them because I have to do them. I do them because I want to do them. And I do them because I want to help another. I don't expect anything in return. I don't want anything in return. And I don't need anybody to care about it, and to say about it, and to praise me about it, to give me flowers for it, to send me gifts for it, to, to pat me on the back, to, get, to, to like me or to love me for it. I'm doing it simply because I have to feel, I, I feel I need to do it because this is my mission, this is who I am. A stone can't move from its place. A person needs to pick it up and move it. Or throw it. Or a water comes and washes it down. This is how a person needs to feel like a demon. A simple servant to Hashem. Hashem brings him from one place to another. And he needs to allow themselves to be brought from that place to another to find the good, the best place in which to be. So they should behave with the proper way, and the proper kavanas, the proper intentions, the proper shlichus, exactly how the Ebishter wants them to act. And the reward is, as we see at the end of the parasha of Evan Azais, Ashasamti Matseva Yir Beisal Ikim, this very stone, which all the stones, as we know, Medish tells us became one stone because they all wanted the tzaddik to rest on them. They all turned the Baruch made them to one stone. So when he awakens, he says, "This stone I will put for a monument. It will be a house of God. Not gold, not silver. Simple stone. More so. Not local stones." From a house, from house of, uh, but uh, stones that Yaakov found on the way. This became Beisalekim, became the house of God through what? Because he surrounded himself with the stones. He bound himself to God with a promise, and the concept of a promise is. That even though he wants and his understanding, his emotion, his feelings, he would not be able to do it otherwise. But the promise forces the person to do this. And this takes the person to the highest levels.
is the most simple mundane things which the person involves themselves and lives with. This is what became a base alikim. This is a lesson of Musa Haskell for each and every one of us, especially <coughs> these that are going to build a bias Nemabi, Sol, Khosan Akala, not only <coughs> the Siddha and the Chumash, which they have to have in the Bayas Malis Farim, not only they are holy, not only they're if it's in English or if it's in Hebrew, if they have a Siddha, if they have a Tilum, if they have a Pikiovis, if they have a Mahzir. But Lahavdul, the fork, the spoon, they also need to be holy. Through what? Which the beginning is, starts off with Vayifka Bamokim, davening. Sleeping even, they're davening. This, Vizeh, then this place, is Shara Shemayim, then will become a bias, a home, which is, finds itself as a base of the Kim, as a house of God. Again, we mentioned the Shabbos is Tess Kislev. Tess Kislev is the birthday of the Mitle Rebbe. It's also the yard side of the Mitle Rebbe. And the passing, and, the, and when a tzaddik passes on the day they're born, <coughs> as you see from Meshach Rabbeinu, this is called Hayyim, this is called a full cycle of which Abish made it to be. As he was named Deber, although there was mention that he should have his name should be Shmuel, Shmuel Anavi. Al Tarebbe says, I don't want him to be named Shmuel Anavi, I don't want him to die at 52. And he ultimately died at 54. The Mitrebbe, as he was known, Al-Tarebbe's son, was after the daughter, or two daughters according to some. And the daughters also of the Al-Tarebbe had very, very lofty souls. The Al-Tarebbe used to say my mother to them. But the Mitrebbe had said that when you cut his vein, if one would cut his vein, blood wouldn't come out, but Hasidus would. He was totally, totally, totally in the same vein, the same the same everything involved in the middle of his life was pure, was with Tera, was with Chassidus. He even told when he was a little child, he came home once and heard the Chassidim talking about Parnassah, about the world, the economy, etc. And he said, don't you know, it's a Bayim Kesev Izov. How it's, and he translated how everything is just of naught and everything is more important, there's nothing more important than Tate itself. In the schus of the Mitle Rebbe, just as the Mitle Rebbe and all the Rabbeim wanted the Geula Amitis Vashtema the Mishiach said, came and they would merit this Shabbos to see Rebbe Melech Mashiach Neskala and take us out of gold, take it from Yad Mamish, take us to the Shalai Mirakadish, good Shabbos to all.